0: Hey, glad you're here this morning. Uh, it's a good day. I believe that God's got some good stuff. How many of y'all smelt some uh, pancakes when y'all were walking in and it was just wrong? I told them, I was like, they're not going to want me to preach very long today uh, smelling pancakes. I said it was a good thing there wasn't bacon in there too. That would have been real dangerous. Can I get an amen for bacon? I love it. Uh, hey, glad you're here this morning. We are in a series right now called Why the Four Gospels? Why the Four Gospels? And what we're talking about is how in the Bible there are four books that talk about the really the story of Jesus and tell the account of Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And those four are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're, we're talking about those and they're called the Gospels because the word gospel literally means Good news. And so the whole idea of it being a gospel and the four gospels, that they are the four accounts that tell us the good news that Jesus came for you and that Jesus loved you and that Jesus died for you and that Jesus rose from the dead for you so that way you can have new life in him. And so what we're talking about in this series is why do we have these four accounts, why is there these four stories? And a lot of people think it's for confirmation that they're just independent accounts and that when we take them together that that's, how, that's what they're there for so that we can see the overlap and understand that it's a true story. And that's not what it is at all. These, these writers were even aware of each other and, like, and knew read each other's documents at times. So a lot of people think that's what it's for, but the real reason that those four accounts are in the Bible is this, is that each of the four gospels has a specific purpose to reveal to you a specific part of Jesus. We talked about this last week, that each of them is written for a reason. And one of the examples I gave last week was talking about um, Casey's dad. And if you ask Casey and me about who is Dwayne Rollins, her dad, she would tell you that he is loving and caring, that he loves to give good gifts and that he'll push you on a swing. And like, those are the things that he is. He's this guy. And if you ask me, I'll tell you that he's good at trivia, that he'll take you skiing, that he's like, he, he knows an, an ungodly amount of knots. Like he's a knot guy, like weird knots. And I would tell you that. And so both of those things are about the same guy they're, they're, but they're telling you two different sides of the same person. And so it's revealing to you more and more of who he is. It's the same person, but a, but a fuller picture. And it's the same with the Bible, right? That each of the four gospels was written for a different purpose. Last week, we talked about Matthew, and how Matthew was writing specifically to the Jewish people. And he was writing to them to tell them that a God is always a God who fulfills his promises. And he was telling them that, that, God, that God had made in them all of these promises throughout time. And that all of these promises were fulfilled in Jesus. So he's writing to these Jews and saying that the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus and that he always keeps his promises. A beautiful story, go back and if you weren't here, I'd just tell you, go back and watch that because it's so moving what Matthew does. But today we're going to be talking about the the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. And it was written for a completely different reason, for a completely different people. And it shows us a different picture and a different side of Jesus that we don't see in Matthew. What we're going to talk about today is why that matters. How it shapes your understanding of Jesus. And ultimately, like last week, we want to talk about how does it shape your relationship with Jesus? Ultimately, that's where we want to get to. If you want to know what Grace Hills is about, the core of what we are is that we want you to know Jesus. And that's what this is about. We're going to tell you some information about Jesus and some cool things. But the ultimate goal is to get you to where you know him and you walk with him and he changes your life. So that's what we're going to do today. And I'll start by telling you a few unique things about the gospel of Mark, um, the gospel of Mark and how it works. So first off, it was written by this guy um, named John Mark. So it goes by Mark, but his name was actually John Mark. And um, let me actually pause here for one quick second. And just pastorally, as a pastor in this church, I want to, there's a trend right now that really bothers me. And, um, I just want to help you pastorally in this situation. So if you are on the internet much, you can maybe see things on Instagram or TikTok or, or even on YouTube. And it's this interesting trend right now where there are people who don't know what they're talking about and they say it really confidently. And then everybody thinks that what they are saying is true because they just say it with conviction and I will just tell you, as um, a lot of these things that I knew about Mark, I've, I've known for a long time. Most of these things that I'm teaching you today, I've known, um, but this week I went back scholarly just to look back and make sure that everything I was teaching you today is like rooted in, in the right things and what it is. And what was amazing is I got on the internet, how many people just don't know what in the world they're talking about and just say random things and say it with confidence and act like, and it changes their theology and it, and uh, I'm very, I'm very worried in a few places for the church because for people that don't have an understanding and don't know trustful places to go to, that they go on the internet, hear these things that shake their faith, right? And it's from people that don't have a clue what they're talking about. And so I would just say this pastorally to you today: is be careful of what you are intaking into your life, and make sure that what you are getting is coming from good sources that know what they're talking about. Amen. Is that fair? Just very challenging, and I just see that coming around. And I'll even say this. I was looking at some stuff on Wikipedia today, or uh, this week on Mark, and I was reading this stuff, and, and like I said, I've done this scholarly academic work on this stuff, and I was looking at it, and I was like, they don't know really what they're talking about in this. So somebody wrote this who doesn't really know about Mark and said some of these things, and it, it, it's not true at all. And so if you want to talk more, I would love to. anytime you ever want to talk about that stuff or have a question, we can talk about it. But I just want to caution you. Make sure that where you're going is to good sources. Amen? So John Mark, we'll get back into it. Thanks for indulging me for a second. John Mark, he's this. He was not a disciple. A lot of times we think that the four gospels were written by four disciples of Jesus. John Mark wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. We see him in the Bible a few different times. One of the times we see him is he's accompanying Paul and Barnabas. They were missionaries and Mark actually went and accompanied them on their mission. If you remember, there's a time where Paul gets ticked off at a guy because the guy abandons him for a little while. That's John Mark. He ends up coming to this point to where he reconciles with Paul and is like really good with Paul. But that's that's this guy, John Mark, in First Peter, we begin to see that he works with Peter and that he, that he works really closely with Peter. And that's an important part of understanding the gospel of Mark because he worked alongside Peter in Rome as an interpreter. Now, Peter, if you remember the stories of Peter, Peter was a fisherman. We talked last week about Matthew, about how when Matthew wrote his gospel, how he wrote it with really proper, really nice Greek. He was a well writer, was well traveled, was well spoken. He was um, worked with Romans, all these people. So he is very well known. Uh, Mark's gospel isn't that way. And, And Mark worked with Peter because Peter was a fisherman. Peter didn't know all of these great things. He was a guy who was just out there running his family business, being a fisherman. And so when he went to go speak to the Romans, he needed to take an interpreter with him. And that interpreter was John Mark, this guy who wrote the gospel. So he had Mark come in and interpret for him as he preached to the Romans. So what we have uh, when Peter was about to die, it was, it's this moment of either right before Peter was about to die or right after Peter died, John Mark sat down to write down all of the stories that he had been interpreting for Peter for the last umpteen years. And so when we read the gospel of Mark, really what we are reading is the story of Peter and the preaching of Peter about, and that's why when you read it, you'll see a lot of times that it'll be, and Peter thought this, or Jesus took Peter aside and told Peter this thing. It's a story of Peter and how Jesus worked in his life. And so what we have here are the stories that Peter has been preaching to the Romans, that John Mark has been interpreting, and now he's writing them down. And when you know that the Romans were the people being targeted with this message, you begin to understand the picture of Jesus that he's painting. And then what he's beginning to say, because there's two big unique things in the gospel of Mark that, and things that he emphasizes that, and it makes sense when you understand that he's preaching to the Romans. And so the first one is this, is that Mark tells us this, is that Jesus actively brings us salvation. Everybody say actively. Mark tells us that Jesus actively brings us salvation. The word actively is what I want you to see because he tells us the story of Jesus who is going and doing and making a difference. There are two words in the gospel that we see in Mark's gospel more than anywhere else. And one of them is the word immediately. Um, and he says this a lot. When you read the gospel of Mark, there's so many times that he will say, Jesus did this. And then immediately he went here. And then right after this, immediately he did this. And then a lot of times he begins sentences with the word and. and he'll say, Jesus did this. And then he went and did this. And then Jesus went and did this. It's almost like like a kid telling a story. You ever have a kid that, and you're like, what did you do today? And they're like, well, we did this and then we did this and then we did this and then we did this and it's like rapid fire stories that's what mark does he comes in with rapid fire stories in fact there are very few accounts in mark of jesus's teaching he's more in, more intrigued in what jesus is doing than what jesus is teaching it's kind of interesting there's two there's two places where he has sections of jesus's teaching but there's no sermon on the mount There's no giant, big discourses of Jesus' teaching. It's about what Jesus is going and doing. And so the story of Mark is this action-packed account of Jesus fighting for the people's salvation. That's what it is. And that makes sense. When you understand this motivation that he's writing to these Roman people, these people that are going to conquer the world, like their mission is they are going and they are doing. They're not Greeks who want to philosophize and figure all that. No, they are people that are action motivated, that are running and doing. And he says to those people, he says, I'm going to tell you about the story of a God who goes and does. That's impactful. The second thing that I told you, there are two main words that characterize the, the gospel. The first one is immediately. But the second word that we see in the gospel, of Mark, that he, that he accentuates so many times is this. And it's a theme that's weaved throughout the entire gospel, is that Jesus has supreme authority over all things. That Jesus has supreme authority over all things. The word that you see pop up so many times is this word, authority. It's this Greek word, exousia, and it's this idea that Jesus has authority to do things. We see it in Mark 1, where there is people that are demon-possessed, and Jesus comes, and he preaches against them and speaks to the demons, casts them out of them, and they say, who is this man right, who speaks with such authority, who teaches with authority? He has authority over religion. There's these people that are trying to push religion down his throat and these wrong ideas. And Jesus goes and he teaches the reality and the heart of God within this teaching. And they say, who is this man who teaches with such authority that he has authority to speak? He comes in and he, he speaks over these people that are conflicted with disease and cast the disease and sickness out of them. And he's got authority over disease. Even in Mark 4, one of the favorite stories is, is that he has authority over nature. The Bible says in, uh, in Mark 4 that, that the, if you remember the story that Jesus is asleep and he wakes up and the, that they're in this boat and the, the storms are going and the disciples are worried because they feel like they're about to go down and that the ship's about to sink. And Jesus wakes up and the Bible uses this unique term. It says that he rebuked the storm. Now, rebuked is an interesting word that most people would not use there. We think a lot of times that he spoke to the storm, but it uses the exact word that they use when he rebukes demons or that he casts people away, saying that he goes up to the storm and he speaks over the storm. And what is he saying? That he has authority over even nature and that the disciples are left when they see this. They say, who is this man that even the winds and the seas obey him? Who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? Mark 2, 5, he says that he has authority over sin, that he forgives sins. Mark emphasizes over and over and over that Jesus has authority over all things. And the reason why this authority matters is because it matters who sets you free. It matters who sets you free. See, the Romans, when he's writing to the Romans, they understand the idea of chain of command. Like they had an army and they were a society that was rooted in authority and chain of command and who you are and how things go. And so they understand authority, they get it. And so when Paul is speaking to them, he says, this is the God who has authority over all things. And he's the one who sets you free. It matters to them who is saving them. Does he have the authority to do so? Matters. Matters who set you free. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Um, if Casey uh, went to prison, um, <laughs> I actually, <laughs> side note, I actually asked Casey one time, I said, hey, if you were like, if you were going to ever end up in jail, um, why do you think that you would like end up in jail? And she thought about, it was bad because she actually thought about it. And she goes, hmm, I'd probably go to jail because I was a re-thief. And I was like, a what? And she said, I'd probably go to jail for being a wreath thief. And I was like, what? And she said, I just drive down the neighborhoods and I love everybody's wreaths. And I'd probably just steal everybody's wreaths. And that's probably why they put me in prison. So that's Casey. (laughs) She loves this. Um, So Casey ended up in prison for being a wreath thief. And I walk into the jail cell and I say, babe, I understand those wreaths were beautiful, and like I understand that you are like that you are sorry for what you've done, and so I just want you to know that I'm just gonna sign this paper, and I'm gonna pardon you for your for your crimes today. You are free to go. How I do mean, you know that's not gonna make much of a difference? She's still gonna be locked up, and uh, it's not gonna be a good thing. But if President Biden walks into the jail cell, <laughs> and he says, "Oh Casey, I know you stole those wreaths." but I wanna pardon you and I'm gonna sign this thing to pardon you for your crimes. How do you know she can walk out of that prison cell? There's a difference in authority. It matters who sets you free. So when Mark is here writing to the Romans, they understand authority, they understand how things work, and when he says, this is the God who is supreme over all things, who has authority over everything, and he came to set you free, it matters. See, the unique emphasis of Mark is this, is that Jesus uses his authority to bring you salvation. Two big things. One, that he has authority over all things, and he comes into your world actively to come and save you, to change your world, to do something in your life. Jesus explains this to the disciples in Mark 10, 42. This is a moment where it's kind of like a watershed moment in his gospel. And he begins to, the disciples were fighting over who was the greatest and who, who could set at Jesus' right hand. They're on all these fights. And Jesus uses that moment as a teaching moment to tell them his purpose and what he's doing and why he's here. So Mark ten forty two, he says this. He says, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them what he's saying is this is that you know how earthly authority works earthly authority when people have authority they rule it over people and they use it to subject people to what they want and to like just rule over them and he goes on and he says this he says but among you it'll be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. But then he goes on, he begins to talk about who he is. And he says this, he says, for even the son of man, talking about himself, he's saying, for even me, who has authority over all things is what he's saying, for even me, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus is saying is this, he's saying, I have all authority. And I am here to, bring my, to use my authority to serve you and bring you salvation. That's what Jesus did. And thinking once again that he's speaking to Romans, these people that want to conquer the world and dominate the world, and everything is about getting their fists pounded on the rest of the world, that Jesus comes speaking to them and says this, that all authority is his, but he's using it to lay down his life for them. How countercultural and moving is that. That's what Peter is emphasizing, saying that Jesus who has all authority lays down His life to bring you salvation. Now, that's the movement of Mark. That's the reason why he wrote this gospel and what it exists. It's, it's Peter's story of telling you about how God actively comes into your world to save you with all His authority and all of His power. And that's cool stuff to know. But like we said last week, theology is pointless if it does not lead you to relationship with Jesus. So how does this begin to affect our understanding of Jesus and our relationship with Jesus? And I had originally two major reasons, but I just want to give you one today. I think it will just help you as you walk through. And it's this. What I want you to understand is this, is that it means this, is that Jesus did for you simply what you could not do for yourself. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. We talked about this last week, um, so I won't hit this super long, but the obstacle for so many of us between us and God is, is the feeling like we have to make our way to God. Like it's my job to figure out how do I get to God? How do I make my life right enough? How do I overcome these things for long enough? How do I like become good enough that God will love me? When in reality, you have no option to make your way to God because you have no authority over death, sin, the grave. Like you have no power. Without Jesus, we have no authority over sin, death, Satan, or demonic powers. But Mark tells us that Jesus came and defeated all of the powers of the enemy for you. And your job now, simply to follow Jesus. Paul says it this way. I think he says it so well in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says it this way. He says, when we were utterly helpless... I love that language. He's saying, when you could not get it figured out on your own, when you were unable, when you have no power, when we were utterly helpless, he says, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. Then verse seven, he says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. He ends out and he says, but God, everybody say, but God. Best conjunction in the Bible, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He says, You could not do it on your own. You had no power to do it on your own, but God. But God sent Jesus with all authority to show up into your world and make a difference. If you remember uh, last week, we baptized um, Bo, and a unique story that Bo came in here, and um, we, we ended up talking to him back in the back corner, and he was somebody who had um, been a Muslim for a lot of years and said that, he said, one of the things that he told me in Austin we were sitting there is he said, I realize he says, I've been following this, this Muslim thing. And he's like, I, I realize that there's no way for me to do this. And there's no way for me to get to God. And he said, every turn, everything that I look at begins to point back to Jesus. And it, but the interesting thing was that when he said, I, I realize I can't do this. I can't hold it together. And so when we were in that moment, I shared with him um, just an old illustration and some of you may have heard this before, but, but there's this idea that there's a mountain and that God is on top of the mountain and that we are at the bottom of the mountain, right? And so the idea is with religion is that we've got to figure out uh, different religions and everything are these different ways that we find paths to get to the top of the mountain. And so we do whatever we can to figure it out. And so there's this religion has this way that we get to the top of the mountain. And there's this religion that says there's this way to get to the top of the mountain. And everything is about us ascending to God and doing the right things and figuring out this way to get to god the story of mark and the story of the whole entire gospel isn't that there's some way for us to magically get good enough and figure out these things and apply these things perfectly to our life to where we get to god finally but the story of christianity the story of the gospel is that jesus came down to the bottom of the mountain to save us it's not this thing where we've got to figure out our way to get to God, but it's this thing where God came down to us. That's the difference. I shared that with him and and we put his faith in Jesus. And the story of the gospel of Mark so beautifully shows us that, shows us that this is that Jesus came and did what we could not, that there was no way for us to get to the top of the mountain. But Jesus said, I love you so much. I care about you so much. I want you in eternity so much that I'm gonna sin, that I'm gonna come down and die for you with all authority so that way you can have eternal life with me. And that shapes my relationship with him because it makes me realize that he wants my heart, not what I can do for him. I think so many times we think that God's mentality is that he wants us to do all of these things for him, but what he wants primarily is your heart. I'm in that place right now, where I just, I really want to walk with God daily. And we were talking about this at our men's meetup at, at our table. And it's just like, I wanna, I wanna get up and I wanna walk with God throughout the day. I wanna, like, I wanna know God. I wanna walk with him. I want God to be a part of my life. And I, I think one of the things that hindered me from that for a long time was that my mentality was, I would get up and I would think about like, how do I serve God instead of waking up and realize like, how do I know God and walk with God? There's a difference between relationship and like being a a servant of somebody. Now, ultimately, do you serve God? Yes, but it begins at a place of relationship. I wanna make sure I have a relationship with God and that that I serve him second. And we understand that God wants our heart, not just what we can do for him. It changes our whole interaction with God. Let me put this on the screen. I think this might be helpful for you. A big point for today. We'll put this right up here for you is this, is that there is a difference between I love God so I serve him, versus I serve God so that way he will love me. There's a difference there, let me say that. There's a difference when I come to a point of I love God so I will serve him, versus I serve God so that he will love me. I'll give you an example of this. Um, I think about it in marriage. I, I like to leave my my shoes at the door because it makes sense, right? Like, I'm going to come in the house. I take them off. I'll leave them at the door. And then within a few hours, I'm going to go back out the door. And so I want to, like, put them back on and walk out. My wife thinks that's a terrible idea. And so she says, yeah, you need to put them in a closet and that you need to put them up. Like, you don't want your shoes just right there at the door because I don't know why. But she says that's the, the reason, <laughs> Right. And so we need to we need to pick these things up and we need to do this. And so um, and so when we first got married, I, you know, you're married and you want this person to love you and you want to do it. And so, you know what? I wanted her to be happy and I wanted her to like love me. And so I would I would begrudgingly grab my shoes and put them in a closet or take them to the closet. And I would always be annoyed about it. And I'd be like, this makes no sense. But I'm going to do it because I want her to be happy and I really want her to be happy. So I'm going to do this thing. Right? And so I would do it. And then there was a difference where I came to a point where my mindset shifted. And there was a point where, because for a long time I was, I'll serve her so so that she'll love me. And so I'll make her happy. There's a difference when I came to a point that I said, you know what? It makes her really happy when when I put my shoes away. And I love her so much. And I love it when that she's happy. And that she's joyful, and that she notices, and she sees the house is clean, and these things are done, and so it came to a point where I shifted, and I didn't begrudgingly do it because I wanted her to love me, but there was a point where I said, I love her so much that I want to do it for her because I love her, and you know what? It changed my attitude to where I became not begrudging and mad and forced to do these things, but where I said, I get to do this because I get to make this girl happy, and I get to love her well. I think there's a difference in our mentality and our walk with Jesus when we say he loves me. I don't have to serve him in all these ways and do all these things just to make him love me. But now I love God. And so now I'm going to serve him because I love him. And I know that he loves me. And I know that he wants his best for me. And when I follow him, it is good for me. And When when you understand that God's heart towards you is that it, it changes everything. See, there's a difference in your relationship between these two things. And if your relationship with God is in the second that I'll serve God so that he will love me, your relationship will burn out every single time. That's why when you read the Old Testament, that's the mentality that they got into over and over and over is that they were doing these things not because of they were being faithful and that God was good and that God loved them and that God made a good life for them and this opportunity for them to live in the goodness of God. No, they got to these points where they were begrudgingly doing these things and every time they burned out and it made this point where they turned away from God every single time. I think so many times we get there and this is huge right now. We have a a giant slew of young people right now, just being honest with you, that are uh, what they would call deconstructing their faith, which ultimately for most of them is they're just walking away from faith because they don't feel like it's real and these things that they've been taught they don't agree with anymore. And it's because so many of them grew up in a religion where they tried to do the right things so that God would love them. And they did that for a period of time and now they're burned out of it and they're walking away from the church because it wasn't rooted in relationship, it was rooted in law and rules. Now, don't hear me wrong, I am all about the laws and the goodness of God because I know that God loves me and that he cares about me and that everything that he wrote in this book for me is for my good. And when he gives me instructions about how to live my life, it's not from a place to beat me down, but it's about a place of calling me into the good life that he has for me. So like, I'm all about that. But it's where does it root from? Are you serving God so that he will love you? Or do you understand that I love God so much and he loves me so much that i be gifted the privilege of being able to follow him? See, when you're at this other place, what it does is it always ends in a place of jadedness and broken relationship and this idea of forced moralism where I try to do these right things to make my way to God. And that is just not the gospel at all. That's not what this Bible teaches at all. See, the gospel message is this is that Jesus came when you did not deserve it to break the power of sin over your life so that you could know him and experience real life and freedom in him. That's the gospel message. Gospel message is two parts, that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead. Do you ever wonder why both of those matter? which both of those matter. We get really good about that Jesus died for my sins because I am bad and I've made some mistakes, but the resurrection is the second part. It's so that way you can experience real life and freedom in him, that he rose from the dead so that way you would have freedom from sin and now you could begin to live a life that is good that he called for you, amen? John ten ten. Jesus says, that he says, uh, the thief comes talking about the enemy to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that you may have life and life to the fullest. He says that I want you to experience the fullness of what it means to walk in God and who he is and the life that he has for you. That's the difference. And we have a lot of people that got stuck at the cross and they're just bound up in this moralism of that. Jesus is all about my sin and that's it. But he's so much more. He cares about your life today. He didn't just save you from something, but he saved you for something. You capture that? God wants to do something in your life, but then he wants to begin to work through your life and, and shape your marriage. He wants to begin to influence your life and your, and your marriage and, and your, the way you interact with your kids and, and everything. And when you get this down, that Jesus wants to walk with you daily. It begins to affect every area of your life and it changes it for good. Amen? Yeah. That's the story of Mark. That Jesus came with all authority to actively change in your life. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. So that way you could live in the freedom that he has for you. See, the story of Mark is this, is that God with authority over all things actively came to save you. And now we get to know him and experience life with him. The God with all authority over all things actively came to save you. And now we get to know him and experience life with him. Hmm. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. Amen. That's powerful. Let me just, I I actually had some things in here that I cut out, but I just, I want to share one more thing with you. Is that all right? Y'all good with that? What I want you to understand today is this, is not only did Jesus defeat the power of the enemy, break the power of sin, but he broke it in your life. And now he's given you that authority of that in your life. And and there's an old theological statement that pastors would say, and it was this, is that now we're at a place where we get to fight from victory instead of for victory. And some of you are in your life and you feel like you don't know how to continue on in this Christian walk and to continue on and live like God has called you to live and and begin to experience the freedom that he has for you because you feel like the enemy is insurmountable and you don't know how to defeat it and you don't know how to overcome your sin and you don't know how to beat it and you don't know how to overcome disease. Like all of these things that Jesus beat, you look at Jesus and you say, yeah, Jesus beat it. That's great for Jesus, but I'm here what am I supposed to do? And he gave his victory to you. That's the story of Mark. Is not only did he defeat the enemy, but he defeated them for you. And now you have the cross at your back where Jesus says that the enemy has been defeated. And now you have freedom to live in the victory of Jesus, that he's already defeated the enemy. You don't have to fight and win it on your own. Amen. There's a, I'll give you an example of this. I don't know if this is a good example or not, but I'll give it to you anyways. Um, Uh, I got a call, me me and Jared were talking this week. And um, one of the things that he said was that there, we were talking about some situations just in the congregation of some people that are just under attack from the enemy. Um, there's just some situations that are going on and and just some struggles that people are dealing with. And so we, we, we were talking about that. And so he said, that's, he said, I just wanted to share that with you. And he says, specifically, that's what I'm praying for. And I was like, okay, that's great. And so I I got off the phone with him and, um, just started to think over those things. And I'll say this too, I want you to know that we care about you and we pray for you. We're taking our time throughout the week because we care about you and what's going on in your life. And we're going to the throne room of God to pray for you because we care about you. And so there was a moment there where I was praying and this idea of fighting from victory instead of for victory began to change, change the way and affect the way that I prayed for you. Because as I was praying, we were thinking about um, one, one group of people that was really just dealing with some confusion in their mind. And I have just began to pray, and it wasn't, God, could you help them? But it was, God, you defeated the, the spirit of confusion. And I pray right now that they will be again to experience the mind of Christ in their life right now. That they have freedom in you. And that and we just begin to pray because we realize that God has already defeated the enemy, and he has no power in their life. Amen. And I would just tell you this, we give the enemy way too much power and give him way too many kudos when he's already been defeated. And we feel like the enemy is just real scary. But I want to tell you, take authority over him. Jesus already defeated him. When the enemy begins to come into your life, when you you begin to deal with shame, man, begin to speak and begin to pray and say, shame, you have no authority in my life. I am, Jesus saved me. and I know what I did, but I know that Jesus has already forgiven me and I get to live in the forgiveness of Jesus, not in the shame of the devil. Amen? That's how we've got to begin to walk. Walk from Jesus's victory instead of feeling like you got to fight for victory. Amen? I want to pray for you today. A couple things I want to ask you is number one, have you Given your life to Jesus. Are you in here today and maybe you're at a place where you have, um, where you just felt like this whole entire idea of God was a mountain that you could not climb. And so you've been hiding out. I want you to know today that Jesus came for you, that he saved you, that he redeemed you. And all he asks now is for you, Follow him. Put your faith in him. So if that's you today and you say, yeah, I've been hiding from God. Today I want to make a decision to follow him. Maybe, maybe that's you. Today's your day. Today is your day. Make a decision. Maybe you're at a separate place where maybe as a kid or maybe when you were younger, you made a decision to follow Christ, but, but it's this thing that you've walked away from and you say, today I want to make a commitment I'm coming back to Jesus. That I've been hiding because I've been feeling like all these things that, that I, I've got to get straightened out before I really come and God really knows me again before I, before I really come to him. That's you today and you say, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. If either one of those are you, you want to follow him or you want to rededicate your life to him, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, have you come forward but I do want to know who you are and I want to pray for you. So if that's you today, I would ask you just make a move of faith and raise your hand and say, that's me, will you pray for me? Today's your day, amen. Amen. Two hands. Amen. Three hands. you feel that pulling of the Holy Spirit on your heart today, you're not alone. pray with us three people today I want to pray for you to put your faith in Jesus and walk in him and I I believe today that if you believe this prayer believe it and mean it in your heart you can know him you can walk with him God we thank you for what you did we thank you that the story of Mark is the story of, of you that you saw us in our helpless state but you came and you died for us you sacrificed yourself for us so that way we could know you, that our sin, the brokenness that we've had is forgiven in you and that you rose to new life so that way we could experience life with you. So God, I pray today that we will know you. And we believe that you died, we believe that you rose from the dead and we confess with our mouth today that you are Lord of our lives. So God, I pray that we will not only experience the joy of forgiveness, but that we will today also begin to experience the freedom of life in you. We ask you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, secondly, I want to pray for you. If you're in a place today... um, just kind of like that addendum that we put on the end of this service. I just feel a stirring of the Holy Spirit today, that there are some of you here today that you have just felt defeated. You felt like, I don't know how to conquer this thing. And the beauty of it is that you don't have to conquer it, that Jesus already did. And you begin to walk in his freedom today. So if that's you today, I want to pray for you. Whatever that thing is, I, 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 I believe that there's several situations in this room today where you feel discouraged, you feel wore out, feel broken. We need to come to a place where we realize the freedom and the joy of Jesus today. I want to pray for you for that. And believe for God to work in your life. And I challenge you today, begin to shift your mindset, realizing what Jesus has already won. Amen. Bow your head. I want to pray for you today. That's you. The Holy Spirit stirring in your heart today. Make a move in the spirit. Make a move in your heart today. God, we thank you. Whatever it is that we have felt dominated or overcome by, that you have already won the battle. Like that song that we spoke or that we sang earlier today, that in your name, that there is power, that you have already come. Jesus, we, we speak your name over situations, that addiction that feels like it is not a beatable, God, that you have already conquered and we get to walk in your freedom. Um, God, lust that seems like it is just running in our minds and that we cannot overcome, that you have defeated it on the cross and that we can experience your freedom and your power today. God, uh, sickness has no power. God, we we believe today, we ask you for healing and restoration, uh, oppression in in our minds and our thinking that just keeps running over and over. God, we ask for your freedom and ask for your healing today. God, whatever it is here that we feel like that we are stuck in, we ask for a a miraculous move and a nudge from you. Now we feel pushed out of the rut because of what you've done that we get to walk in your freedom and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.